All right, how about we open in prayer? Uh, Lord God, I um, yeah, echo the words of that song that we've just sung, uh, that, uh, that prayer that you would guide us uh, in our lives, um, in a uh, journey through, a, um, through our wilderness, Lord, um, through this, this world which uh, is, um, uh, is longing uh, for you to make everything right. Uh, Lord, this world of temptation and sin uh, and death and pain, Lord, and uh, we need, uh, as that song says, we need the strength um, and the guidance that you provide uh, to keep us um, on this journey until we uh, land uh, in the promised land. Uh, So we pray that as we read this word, the the word uh, that you have given us this morning, um, that you would... uh, guide us through these words, uh, through your word as you have promised to, that we would uh, feed us on your words um, and give us uh, the strength and the, uh, the um, knowledge that we need um, and the ears that we need to hear from you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> All right, thank you for reading as well, Mary. Um, well, I... I announced, or someone announced a few weeks ago, um, that we were going to be preaching through Ruth uh, as our Christmas series. Um, and as uh, since I've um, made that announcement, I've heard uh, from a number of people how excited they are about that and how this is uh, one of their favourite books. And I think that's that's probably um, fair enough. Uh, it's a it's a really beautiful book, Ruth. Um, it's a, a wonderful kind of wholesome story. Um, it's it's full of these lovely characters, uh, and it's it's got so much about God's love and kindness and hope all through it, <clears throat> uh, and all these things that I think that make uh, Ruth such a beautiful story to read uh, also make it a really great Christmas story. <clears throat> um, think about if you ask someone off the street, what do you think Christmas is all about? Um, you get answers like hope. And, and joy and love and families coming together and, and maybe even a little bit of magic that brings hope and joy in, in unexpected or even miraculous ways. And we're going to see over the next four weeks, Ruth has all of those things. Uh, but most importantly, Ruth is all about Jesus. And that might seem surprising given that it's uh, it's, it's in the Old Testament, it's... it's uh, a good thousand or so years before Jesus was even born, Uh, but it's all about Jesus. Uh, If you look at the last verse of the the book, uh, which we will in in a few weeks, Steve will preach from that on Christmas Eve, uh, the last paragraph of the book tells about uh, Ruth uh, Ruth becoming the great-grandmother of King David. And the fact that that's where this story is heading kind of reframes all of what comes before. It's a, it's a beautiful story, but it's not just that. Uh, it's a backstory for King David, uh, the great king that God chose to lo- use his people. Uh, and uh, in the same way, King David shows us what God's future ultimate king would be like, God's Messiah, Jesus. Uh, and so Ruth in that sense, is all about Jesus. It teaches us something of what Jesus is going to be like and what he will do for God's people. 
The book of Ruth uh, is going to show us how uh, the Messiah, how Jesus brings hope and joy and the kindness and the loving kindness of God to the most unlikely people uh, in the most unlikely ways. Uh, and that's, I am sure you'll agree, what Christmas is all about. Jesus, the Messiah, bringing hope and joy and the kindness of God to us. Um, so, without any further ado, let's, uh, let's kick off this series um, by looking at Ruth chapter 1. Uh, as we go through this chapter, um, you'll see in the bulletins there's four points, four scenes uh, that form the sort of structure of this passage. Uh, the first five vo- verses are the first scene, the, an, an introductory scene for the book. Uh, and it's a very tragic scene, a scene full of death in Moab. Uh, Let me read those verses again. Uh, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Uh, These verses are the background uh, of Ruth, and to rightly understand it as, as it would have been understood by the people who first heard it, uh, I'm just going to take a few moments to unpack uh, what, these, what, what we're supposed to understand from this background. Uh, firstly, it says uh, this story is set in the days when the judges ruled. And this is a dark backdrop to set this book against. Uh, the days when the judges ruled, uh, you can read about in the book of Judges, uh, it's a dark period of Israel's history. Uh, Centuries of of sin and judgment, uh, repentance and salvation, but uh, even in that salvation, the sin never fully got resolved, uh, and so it just kept on going as a downward spiral of of depravity. Uh, It just got worse and worse in each successive generation. And in this era of, of dark depravity, uh, we're told, and a man named Elimelech from Bethlehem, uh, because of a famine, took his wife Naomi and his sons Mahlon and Kilion and went to live in Moab. Uh, now, Moab is one of Israel's neighbours, uh, but reading this, we're supposed to see this as, as a pretty questionable decision on the part of Elimelech, uh, because Moab was an enemy of Israel. Uh, in fact, it wasn't that long uh, before, in the time of Judges, uh, that, Mo- that Moab and Israel were openly at war. Um, you could kind of think of Elimelech moving to Moab as kind of being like if one of us uh, took our family, our wife and kids, and went to live under the Taliban in Afghanistan. That, that connotation of oppressive oppression against uh, well, in, in that case, Christians, um, in, in, this, in the 
uh, story of Ruth, it would be against Israel, obviously. But, um, but that history of oppression, that history of open war. Uh, but in fact, it's worse because uh, in leaving the, the uh, promised land, Elimelech was taking his people away from uh, the place where their inheritance was, their God-given inheritance, uh, the place where God met with his people. They were, in effect, distancing themselves not just from, from their home, but from God himself as well. Uh, now, the text doesn't explicitly condemn this decision, but again, you can't just read this and, and not go, that's a weird thing to do. That's problematic. Uh, and so we see how it all works out for them. Uh, no sooner do we know Elimelech's name just about, than he dies. And, well, that's the end of him. Uh, his sons take Moabite wives, uh, which again is a problematic decision. It, it goes against what the law of God said. Uh, And then after a decade of having no children, uh, those men, his sons, die too. And then the woman, uh, note that it's not Naomi, she's the woman, just kind of this nameless, she's lost her personhood, her family. Uh, She's left without her two sons and her husband. Now the text makes no comment, again, on why all of this happened. Or even how all of this happened necessarily. We're not told how they died or, or, or why. That's not really the point of what the, the author of Ruth is, is saying in this introduction. Uh, the, again, he's not tr- deliberately, uh, con- he's not explicitly condemning the decisions of Elimelech and his family. As much as these clearly are bad decisions, uh, and perhaps even the deaths are judgments of God, the point isn't a lesson in what we should or shouldn't do, necessarily. It's not teaching us a lesson in these verses, it's setting up the story. And and so, really the point of these verses isn't so much, uh, uh, um, sorry, is to show that the story of Ruth, which, as I've said from the start, is a story of hope and love, This story is specifically and primarily for people who have walked away from God and found only tragedy. This story is hope uh, for people who know that the experience of living far from God is characterised by heartbreak and loss. This story is hope for people like you and me. Because each of us knows that truth. Either by, by second-hand or painful first-hand experience, each of us knows how painful it is to run from God. That the experience of living far from God is characterised by heartbreak and loss. Uh, of course, each of us to some degree has made that same sort of choice that Elimelech made. To reject the good things of God and to seek life apart from him. That's what the Bible calls sin. And we are all guilty of it. We are all guilty and we know the consequences. But even with uh, this introductory scene filled with, with tragedy, 
with death in Moab, there is still a little bit of hope there in verse 6, where we're told that the Lord visited his people and gave them food. Uh, Now, you notice again that there's no reason for God to do that. No no reason given. Uh, It's just his gracious choice. Uh, This God visiting his people is, is a sign of God's kindness, of God's love of his faithfulness, uh, and it's such a key underlying theme of this book that God is faithful to his people. Uh, And so God's God's faithfulness is a message of hope for people like Naomi, for people like you and me, uh, that God is faithful to his people. Uh, And this good news, uh, as we've read before, convinces Naomi to return to Israel. And this sort of transitions us into the second scene, a scene filled with decisions at the crossroads. Uh, I'll start by reading verses 6 to 9. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Uh, So again, Naomi sets off for home, and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, go with her. But at some point along the way, Naomi stopped, turned to them, and challenged them to reconsider. Or perhaps that's too soft a way of putting it. Naomi's flatly telling them, go home. I hope you have a good life. Kind of politely, but that's really the sense of it. And so Orpah and Ruth are left with this decision at the crossroads of whether they return to Moab or Israel. Uh, That's really the question that's going on in this whole section. The word return uh, comes up over and over again, um, or go back, or similar meanings. Uh, The question is, which way way will they turn? Decisions at the crossroads. Uh, So they they replied in verse 10, uh, No, we'll go with you to your people. We will return with you to your people. Um, let me summarise uh, what Naomi then sort of replies. Um, she's essentially saying in verses 11 to 13, what's the point in sticking with me? <clears throat> what does it gain you to do that? There's nothing to be gained by coming with me. <clears throat> in fact, Naomi says it's only going to be painful for you. You'll never have a husband or kids. Uh, You'll never have an income or or anyone who can provide for you. Nothing good can come from sticking with me. All that will happen is that the the pain that God is sending my way will just sort of overflow and splash onto you. Do you really want that, Naomi says? Of course not. Go home. Um, So at this point, convinced by Naomi's rational words, Orpah made the sensible decision. Uh, Verse uh, 12. Um, sorry, verse, what are we up to? 14. Uh, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. 
But despite all of this, and despite all of Naomi's insistent discouragement, the end of verse 14 tells us, Ruth clung to Naomi. So Naomi decided again, or tried again, to convince her that she was making the wrong decision. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Uh, Ruth's poem in verses 16 and 17, and that's what this is. This is really a a poem. Uh, It's a beautiful expression of loving commitment. And this is, remember, this is to her crusty old mother-in-law, no less. Uh, Now, some of you are going to make comments after the service. Uh, Beck gets along with my mother-in-law just fine. But we all know what a stereotypical mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship is like. They're, you know, constantly butting heads at each other's throats. Uh, But Ruth here is the complete opposite. Such a radical commitment of undying love that such, such a radical, such a radical commitment of undying love that it's frequently compared with marriage vows. And at the heart of this commitment, in, in direct response to Naomi saying, go back to your people and your gods, Ruth makes a commitment to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now we have no idea what, Na- what Ruth knew about Yahweh at this stage. We don't know how much he knew about Israel or the Israelite law. We don't know what she understood of the the covenant promises of God. It might not have been much. We'll see in a moment. Naomi wasn't particularly a great evangelist. Uh, Right now, Naomi sees Yahweh in a very negative light. We'll see that in a moment. But yet, clearly, Ruth believed in the faithfulness of Yahweh and in his promises. Ruth is demonstrating true faith. Faith that, that profoundly trusts in God and finds hope in the, in the kindness of God. Uh, even though the logical choice is to stick with her old people and her old gods, her Moabite family, her stable home, uh, she chose instead to stick with a bitter, homeless old woman and her strange culture. She chose to try to make a home in a place that she'd never been, with no guarantee that she'd be welcome. Uh, She chose to almost certainly die poor, lonely and hungry, because her love for her mother-in-law and her faith in Yahweh was greater than the barriers and challenges that she faced. That was what it meant for Ruth to trust God. Uh, Now, don't think that she had no reason to trust God. This is not completely unfounded faith. Uh, In fact, I hope you don't think God ever calls us to trust him with no reason. Uh, 
Yes, faith means believing in what we don't see. Uh, Faith requires believing in a God that we can't see, but it doesn't mean believing without any reason to do so. It doesn't mean throwing logical or what we've learned from the past completely out the window. Uh, Ruth here had proof of the kindness of God. She knew that God was kind because he, in verse 6, had compassion and visited his people and gave them food. And even more for us, we have reason to trust God. We have proof of the loving kindness of God in the death of his son on the cross for us. We have proof of his faithfulness in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, Isn't that what Paul says? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We see the love of God in that he gave us his son, and we can trust that he will with him graciously give us all things. Uh, We uh, have every reason to trust God, just like Ruth. Uh, Because we have seen God's kindness in Christ, uh, we can trust him because of it. Uh, The Bible calls us, each and every one of us, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And that's exactly what Ruth did. But Ruth's faith stands in direct contrast to the way Naomi uh, relates to God at this stage. Uh, We've already seen some of that uh, previously. She's said things like, go back to your old gods. There's nothing good that can come from sticking with me. God hates me, effectively. Uh, And then as we arrive in Bethlehem for the third scene, that all sort of comes to a head. Uh, We'll pick up again from verse 18. Uh, When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, uh, and Ruth, heard, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. <coughs> um, now, if most Bibles will have a little footnote uh, there from verses 20 and 21, uh, showing what the point of Naomi's uh, thing about her name is. Uh, Naomi means pleasant Uh, but she says now I'm just bitter and God has treated me bitterly so call me bitter Um, but the key the the, the focal point of those verses comes there in verses uh, in verse 21 where Naomi says I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty this is kind of her summary of, of all that's happened in this chapter so far And that idea of being empty uh, is such an emotive word. It it kind of conveys in this single word all the loss that she's experienced, all the pain and heartache that she carries. Uh, She's lost everything. 
Uh, She's had, as it were, the stuffing kicked out of her. She's deflated and depressed. She's got nothing left. She is empty. Um, And in some ways that kind of reflects uh, what's happened to her over this chapter. Uh, She left with with one husband and two sons, uh, and now they're all dead. She left in the prime of her life, now she's menopausal and on the way out. She left probably not having a whole lot of possessions, but certainly all that she had then is gone now. But at the same time, it's not entirely true. Um, We'll see in the next few weeks, Naomi has a good community. Uh, She's got uh, all the possessions that her husband left behind. Uh, She's home, so she hasn't got nothing. Uh, Most importantly, most significantly, she's got Ruth, her daughter-in-law, standing right there. Uh, Her daughter-in-law who loves her too much to die hungry and alone. But the fact is, Naomi has no eyes to see the kindness of God or the love of her daughter-in-law. In her heartbroken, guilty depression, all she senses is her own emptiness. And again, worse, look at what she thinks of God. Uh, She says, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Uh, Naomi's perspective on God is entirely shaped by her pain. She, She says, He's powerful and cruel, almighty and vindictive. And Naomi thinks of him as God, but he's not good. He's king, but he's not kind. He's lord, but he's not love. He's judge, but he's not just. That's what Naomi makes of God right in this moment. She's angry at God, bitter and depressed. Uh, Now, some of you are going to look down on Naomi because of this reaction. Uh, she should know better, shouldn't she? She, After all, she's lived under God's goodness before. Uh, she's heard of his kindness towards his people. Uh, she should look at the love of her daughter-in-law and the, the fact that she's been brought safely home, and she should be thankful. Right? I mean, she's the one who walked away from God in the first place. You know, It's not even like God's given up on her. How dare she hold this against him? Now, some of you might well be thinking that. Uh, Others are probably thinking, I know exactly how she feels. Uh, You've known the depression that Naomi felt. Uh, Maybe you even feel that way now. Uh, You know that the truth that God is good can get drowned out by the pain of hardship and sorrow in this life. Uh, You can't be too hard on Naomi. She's just expressing how she feels. She's just telling her truth. You've got to accept her and support her and and let her tell her story her way. Uh, God, for his part, doesn't condemn Naomi's decision, uh, reaction, sorry, but he he also doesn't confirm Naomi's reaction. God doesn't tell her off, but he doesn't let her wallow either. What he is going to do throughout the rest of the book is patiently, sovereignly Prove Naomi wrong in the most loving way possible. 
God is going to patiently work in the background to achieve his good and kind purposes. Uh, Over the next three chapters, we're going to see how God will reverse Naomi's emptiness and fill her with good things. Uh, Because the the book of Ruth shows God fills what is empty. God is a loving God who fills what is empty. Um, At the start of this chapter, there's already a little hint of this. Um, Bethlehem uh, is, uh, as a name or a, a place name, means something like house of bread, or you might say storehouse of bread. But at the start of the chapter, remember, there was a famine. So the the house of bread is empty. That is, until verse 6, when God visited his people and gave them food. Uh, Later we're going to see that when Naomi's and Ruth's cupboards are empty, God, through Boaz, will provide them with grain. Uh, And after that, uh, Ruth's womb, which for ten years of marriage... Uh, had been empty and now almost certainly would stay empty given that she's a widow. Ruth's womb will ultimately, will finally be filled with a baby boy. And as she holds, uh, as Naomi holds the grandchild that she's longed for, Naomi's arms will be filled with life. Uh, As we read in verse, in in chapter 4, life is restored to her through this grandson. But here at the end of chapter 1, that hope is still in the future. That's a future scene, uh, which brings us to verse 22, uh, a transition verse which will lead us into scenes of hope in the future. Uh, So the curtains of this chapter have closed on a bitter old widow uh, who's left with her impoverished foreign daughter-in-law. At this stage, we have no idea how God will provide for them, uh, how he will resolve the problems that this chapter raises, uh, how he will deal with the sorrows of of this chapter. We don't even know if they have a home at this stage in the story. But what we're left with are these pregnant words of verse 22. Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Um, There's a couple of details in this verse that have sort of a hopeful feeling about them. uh, Firstly, notice that it says, Ruth returned from the country of Moab. Maybe if you've got an NIV, um, this is a little bit hidden, but uh, in in the the ESV, it specifically says, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Uh, Which is a funny thing to say about someone who was from Moab and who had, as far as we know, never been to Israel. But we're told that she returned, as though this is as much a homecoming for Ruth as it was for Naomi. But why shouldn't it be? Ruth has committed herself to the people of Israel. Bethlehem is her home now. Uh, Israel is not... An, an exclusive group in the sense that you can't enter into the people of God. Or, or at least it's not supposed to be. Uh, anyone who will come and submit and commit themselves to worshipping Yahweh is part of Israel, part of the people of God. 
Uh, and so we see that in the way that this, this stranger and foreigner, this Moabite Ruth, comes home to Bethlehem, comes back home. The other thing to note, I think, is the enigmatic final words, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Uh, Now this, I think, also is a strange thing to say, but more just because it kind of begs the question, why is it there? Why why does it matter specifically when they arrived in Bethlehem? Uh, Well, partly it underscores what verse 6 told us, that the famine is over and that God uh, has provided for his people. But I think also in closing out this chapter and, and preparing for the next chapter, it just leaves everything on this kind of note of, of hope, of anticipation. It, it leaves us with this sense that you know we don't yet know exactly what will happen in the future, but we can guess that something good is going to happen because something good is happening. There's, there's harvest going on, there's hope, there's life. There's, there's provision of God. <clears throat> um, and that's the end of the chapter, just like that. Uh, this chapter ends just on a cliffhanger, and you'll have to come, out over the, come back over the next few weeks to find out what happens next. Um, but there's already clues in this chapter uh, as to what's happened. Um, I am a fan of the Marvel series of movies, uh, and a few years ago uh, there was a, the movie Avengers Infinity War, um, and that too ended on a big cliffhanger. Um, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it ends with half of the heroes and, in fact, half of all intelligent life in the universe uh, just slaughtered in the last few seconds of the movie. And on some level, everyone who watched it kind of knew things were going to somehow be put back to normal. I mean, you can't just leave people dead like that. There's more movies yet to come out. But at the same time, it was going to be a year before we actually found out what would happen. Um, And so over the course of that year, millions of people on the internet uh, were poring over these, these previous movies to try and find clues about what the next movie would hold. Uh, And sure enough, there were clues. And in the same way, there are clues in this chapter that will hint at what is going to come next, what the hope of the future will look like. Uh, Fundamentally, we know, don't we, that this, uh, this hope must be rooted in the kindness of God, which this chapter has been hinting at so often. The same kindness which motivated him uh, to have mercy on his people in verse 6. The same kindness that Naomi invoked on her daughters-in-law in in verse 8. But there's more detail than that as well, because Naomi's blessing in verse 9 gives us a, a bit of a clue as to what's going to happen as well. She said, The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Um, and what we will see over the next few weeks uh, is, is that uh, the promise of God uh, will come in his plan to provide rest, a home and a family, through a man who will redeem them. <clears throat> and indeed, our hope is built on the same plan, or in, uh, in a sense, the fulfilment of that plan. Just as we read in Ephesians before, God is providing rest and peace, building a home and a family 
in and among people like Ruth. People like you and me, people who were, and perhaps some of you still are, separated from Christ, alienated foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. We're not people, people that, that were born into this. We are people like Ruth who are far away, people who, who were naturally and perhaps still are a, uh, without God and without hope in the world. And so again, this is the ultimate fulfilment of the book of Ruth and the message of Christmas that Jesus came, as Ephesians 2 tells us, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for he himself is our peace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are our peace. You are our hope. You are our, our promise of redemption and uh, and the truth that uh, gives us strength and hope in the sorrows that we face um, as a result of our sin. Uh, so Lord, we pray um, that you would uh, open our eyes, lift our eyes uh, to see Christ uh, this Christmas. Um, that you would <clears throat> um, give us uh, the hope that we have in the gospel, remind us of that um, and help us uh, as we uh, persevere through this life um, to find hope uh, in your loving kindness brought to us by our Saviour Jesus, um, in whose name we pray. Amen.